Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your guests, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. So this is episode number 48. We're getting close to the one year anniversary. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Yep. So the uh, main thing for this week, um, there's going to be a new release uh, on the MacFab website. We're going to have a new, improved, you know, as seen on TV dashboard. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's going to consolidate basically all our little services like like fulfillment and and inventory and all that stuff and kind of give you an overview of what you have going on at MacroFab. Yeah, and we're supposed to be releasing this um, this next Friday. 29th. The 29th. Right. Or the 30th. 30th. Friday 30th. I think today is the 29th. The 30th. Yeah. Friday Friday the 30th, <laughs> we will have a new improved dashboard. So the dashboard gives kind of an overview of everything that you have going on at MacroFab. Yep, just what I said. Right. So... <laughs> Yeah, your recent orders, the status of all the orders, um, your inventory, your cost of inventory. Fulfillment statuses, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not kind of like a one one page. You can look at it and just know everything without having to you know, keep your own records. Yeah, it's not going to be the default view yet. We're going to see how people respond to it and you know, give us feedback on, oh, you should change this thing or you know, it looks awesome. That'd be, that'd be the best thing ever if people say it's awesome and we don't <laughs> have to change it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what you hope for. Um, but then then eventually it will probably become the default view at MacroFab. So, yeah. Cool things. Yeah, exciting. So, uh, last week we had uh, just some, some minor issues with the... Minor. The, the audio. Uh, and so a bit of, a bit of the podcast kind of got cut a little short. So we're going to pick up from uh, where I was talking last week because I was going on about our, uh, our new precision resistor project. Yeah, the... Resistor of Death, which is the current name. Um, <laughs> we still haven't come in the last over the week. We haven't come up with a better name yet. So, so let me recap real quick. Basically, we're doing a, a series parallel uh, configuration of a bunch of resistors in order to get a single resistor that has much better tolerance than any one single resistor that you have. Exactly. So, uh, uh, just a real quick uh, recap. We're basically making an array of uh, resistors uh, such that you have uh, the equal number of rows and columns in this array. And by doing that, you can have a cumulative resistor that, that basically has a really tight tolerance. Yep. So um, let, me, let me go over just a quick little calculation thing. So uh, there's a really simple equation to find out what the total tolerance is of an array of resistors and caps. Or, I'm sorry, of uh, resistors. It took like half a whiteboard to, for you to get this, though. Yeah. You say yeah. simple. Yeah, no, it took it's, a lot it, of R's on the board. <laughs> that's, that's the wonderful elegance of math. You, you start off with something simple, it blows up into something huge, and then it comes out again as something simple. Yeah. Uh, so the, the equation goes like this to find the tolerance, the total tolerance of an array of equal rows and columns of a resistor, it's, it's basically the tolerance of an individual of each individual resistor divided by the number of resistors in either the columns or the rows so so we're talking about doing a array of resistors that are 200 rows wide uh, long or high by 200 columns so why why did you pick that it's um why did you pick that 200 number so what what I did was I went to Mauser 
and I, I looked for their tightest tolerance resistor that you can buy, which is 0.005%. Over on 10K. That's correct, on yeah. a 10K. Yeah, and how, I, how we, we calculated this last week, and I forgot, is actually how much deviation from 10,000 was that? That's uh, 50 ohms. Is so, it 50 ohm? Yeah, 0.005 and 10K is, is 50 ohms. Yep, 50 ohms. That's, that's a little crazy. Yeah, it's really Is that plus minus or just? That's plus minus. Okay. Yeah, that's plus minus. So 99950 to 10,050. Yeah. Um, so, so if you have a, an array of resistors, each resistor being 1%, if you have that array such you have 200 rows and 200 columns, then you'll get an equivalent resistor of 0.005%. Now, 200 rows times 200 columns means 40,000 resistors. <laughs> so uh, we're actually going to build a board that has 40,000 resistors in series parallel. You know, this is something that we forgot about talking about last time that got cut off was are my 200 picking place, how many components per hour can it do? You know, uh, I, I think... I think it's like 10,000, right? I don't. I don't remember what the spec was. I know we were averaging something like six to seven thousand. Yeah, and that's that's averaging across. You, know, you have setup machine. time. You have yeah. all this other stuff. So yeah, this might be two hours of runtime. Yeah, that's. I think we should we should do a time lapse of it just running. The thing is, oh, keep keep going, keep going. Well, okay, real quick. Actually, the my two hundred has, was going has in, five pick heads. That's what I was. I was that was because you were getting there, and then I was like, oh wait. Well, okay, so let's check this out because we might throw a monkey wrench in that. So in order to actually do this properly, you have to have a Gaussian response across the resistors. If yep. the resistors are not evenly uh, distributed, then you don't really get this equation. So in order to help that, we're actually going to buy four reels of 0402 resistors. Uh, each reel is 10,000. Yep. Up to uh, for 40,000. Now, the funny thing is, you think that's a, a lot of parts, it's going to be expensive. Each resistor on a 10,000 reel is only $0.001. Yeah. So a tenth of a cent. A yeah, tenth of a cent. So each reel is only 10 bucks. Yeah. It's 10 bucks for 10,000 resistors. So we've got $40 worth of resistors on this thing. Um, now, that being said, if we have four different part numbers, the, the My200 is going to have to pick four different reels. Yeah. Well, I think if we set up the uh, the My200 uh, My correctly, mm -hmm. it will actually gang pick. It'll, it'll drop the head four at a time yep. and pick four up at once and then place those. Yeah, yeah. Well, a time lapse would be fun on this. Yeah. And I, what I want to do is, because you, you were bringing up the Gaussian curve, right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is at the same time, Order basically two reels, right? Yeah. And then I'm going to design a board that we can test the resistance of like a thousand of each resistor just to see what kind of spectrum we're looking at and see what the actual lay of the land in terms of tolerance is on these on these parts. Hmm. That's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, the, the multimeter we're looking at to test this thing with it has a record function, so we'll be able to just plug it into the computer and hit record, and so it'll be like, put the you know put the probe on record, probe record, and just do that, you know, a couple thousand, four thousand times. <laughs> but you know, I want the data. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna need you're gonna need to you know put on some meatloaf and and drink a <laughs> bunch of beer. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think it'd be a cool experiment because I think. Um, Dave, you told me Dave Jones has done a 
test like this before. With through-hole. With through-hole ports. Yeah. And this uh-huh. is going to be service mount, and I'm going to be putting them on the board, solder paste, reflow, all that good stuff. Yeah. And then test that way. Cool. Um, it's going to take forever. It's going to take forever, but I think it'll be pretty... I, I think we'll get a full data analysis, basically, of this project. Yeah. It'll be really cool. So so I'm going to have to get a little bit blasphemous with this project, and I'm kind of forced <laughs> to do it in Eagle. Yeah, you are. Because uh, I, have, I have the extended version of DipTrace, and DipTrace is kind of my native EDA tool. I've just been using it for years, and I like it, and... I, those who've been listening to the podcast for a while probably know that I don't like Eagle that much, but <laughs> the extended version of DipTrace only allows 2,000 pins, so I cannot do 40,000 resistors because that's 80,000 So pins. you need the, the Sith version of, of, uh, of DipTrace because for a limited power? Yeah, I don't want to spend another $400 and get the, get <laughs> to the build this precision yeah, resistor. For this one resistor, that's only going to cost, you know, 60, 70 bucks yep. all said and done. I, want, I wonder how big the XML file for Eagle is going to be for this project. Oh, my gosh. It's going to have 40,000 instances of this resistor. <laughs> oh, it's, it's going to take so long to upload. <laughs> but yeah, so Eagle doesn't have the limitations. No. Uh, the one thing actually, so I haven't done this yet, but Parker was telling me, um, well, okay, so in DipTrace, you can, you can connect resistors by literally going from pad to pad, each trace yep. pad to pad, or DipTrace will allow you to just draw a trace across a full length of pads. Yep. And the thing about dip trace is it won't consider them connected, but you can still export the Gerbers. And so it's kind of a cheater, cheater's way of doing it. Um, I know they're connected, but the DRC is going to barf at me. Because, yeah, yeah. But regardless, it, it means I only have to draw one trace and then I can copy it twice and then copy it again. And I, and I can basically do 40,000 resistors in no time flat. Eagle's not Three days as nice. later. <laughs> no, uh, no, Eagle will let you do that. Will, will it really? I yeah. thought you. I thought you. I thought it couldn't. No, you can just draw traces wherever you want to draw. Okay, but it won't consider them connected, right? Correct. It will not connect them. Here's the thing with this: I don't care if it considers them connected because I can just look at this and know it's connected. Yep. Uh, it's not going to be complex. It's literally just vertical lines yep. on there, so it's going to be pretty easy. Now, one thing I'd like to see is this thing's actually designed. To look like a giant SMT resistor, so so the PCB has yeah, it's the same like, like you know ratio of as, as an 0805 yeah, and then like you know Enig plate the edges around the corners yeah, and then like when it's all done, mask it off and like spray paint it black, <laughs> and then do some like vinyl lettering on it. I write 10k on the yeah top. yeah. I think be, plus minus point zero zero five exactly. I think it'd be awesome. Well, okay, so here's the funny thing. So we're going through all this rigmarole to to get this resistor. So earlier we talked about we, hey we searched for this really tight tolerance resistor on Mauser. Yep. That point zero zero five percent resistor on on Mauser is twenty one dollars. So this resistor is going to be a lot more expensive than that, but it's it's cooler. That's cool. It's yeah. It's it's much cooler. So. You can handle more power, and and it doesn't need to be laser trimmed. So I think actually one of the biggest takeaways from this is, yeah, we're going absolutely ridiculous with 40,000 resistors. But the equation works, you know, for anything down to two resistors, basically. Uh, So if you're doing something like feedback gain in an op amp, 
you can get a tight tolerance by you know paralleling in series four or eight resistors. Yep. And and actually get something better, and it's still cheap to do that. Yep. So or it might be away. that just might be the only thing you have at your bench. Right. Right. Is like some five percent resistors, and you need one percent. Shoot, you could always uh um, stack them and and oh, solder them. Oh yeah. Skyscraper style. Yeah. Um. New York or was it uh, Manhattan Pink. style? Oh yeah, like the the old radio guys. Yeah, old uh, dead bugging. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah. They, uh, if if you need a tighter tolerance, just use that equation, and there you go. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll come back with an update on that. And, yeah, next week. And a massive, or a PCB with a ridiculous amount of components. Yeah, it's it's probably going to only be like I think we're going to use O four twos. Yes. So this thing's only going to be like, how big was this going to be? I don't remember the final size, but I think when I was starting it in dip trace, the the height of it, um, the Y direction was 10 inches. So it's going to be 10 by 10, and then... Well, if you want a ratio of a resistor... Yeah, the ratio, it's, like it's probably going to be like 10 by... Oh, no, not 20, but... Uh, it'd be 10 by like 16-ish. It's going to be huge. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Yeah. It's going to be art. <laughs> So, so we can I set can, up as like an art installation with a meter attached on the end with like 10k, like 10.00000. So, so we need to <laughs> mount this on the wall and sell it for forty thousand dollars, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, actually, the, but the one thing I'm actually going to adhere to, and I don't have to do this, but I want to, I'm going to use correct spacing in between all the components uh, for manufacturability. I could. Go and just cram them as oh, close man. together they as possible. Tombstoned? Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> fixing, <laughs> fixing random tombstones in forty thousand resistors would be horrible. Yeah. So yeah, no, we'll use proper spacing on everything and do it right. And it'll be all up on GitHub, of course. The the one thing if that we're gonna ever have wants to, to build this thing. Yeah, I don't know who. <laughs> we're the only people who are dumb enough to build this kind of stuff. But but the one thing that um, is is important is. Uh, we want to kind of keep an eye on the resistance of the traces in between, in between. the resistors because yep. those will have an effect. Yeah, especially over a board that big. Right, right. So yep. I don't know how we're going to do that yet, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Math. <laughs> I'm afraid we have to use math. <laughs> okay. Um, on to the RFO. Yeah, on to the RFO. So last week the RFO got cut off. So we're going to cover the topics we were covering last week. Hopefully we come up with the same jokes we did last time (laughs) or better ones. Yeah, hopefully better. And then there's a couple extra at the end. So this is going to be a pretty lengthy segment, I think. Yeah. Okay, number one, uh, Cherry Switches, um, the company Cherry, they were sold. Oh, they got bought out by the ZF brand, which is a German sensor switch company. Um, Isn't the cherry brand German? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, no idea. Anyways, they got bought out like in 2008. So it's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but they're now basically changing the name from Cherry Switches to be under the ZF brand. So those nice mechanical keyboards will not have Cherry Switches. They'll have ZF Switches. There's, there's still the same switch. It's just exactly the same switch. Cherry. It's just that the part number might change and the... Manufacturer logo in the data sheet will be changed. I really hope they don't change the color scheme. Yeah. That's one thing they should leave alone because it's established. Yeah, for all the switches. Mm-hmm. One thing I didn't know, though, is that Cherry actually makes, like, sensors and stuff. Really? 
I don't know what sensors though. I didn't go that far into their catalog. <laughs> so they it just says, make sense. It says switches and sensors, and I I I look at all their switches stuff. They're very clicky sw- sensors. Yeah, very clicky sensors. Um, which, which which cherries? Which do you prefer? I like the brown. Because they're 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 not super clicky. Yeah. They got a smooth action on them. Ah, okay, okay. I think I have blues in yeah. my keyboard. Yeah, you got a little snap action. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm still not used to it because I bought it. I don't know six months ago, and it's still like so clicky that it's like, wow, this is crazy. But but they feel so nice. Yeah, mechanical keyboards are awesome, but there'll be ZF keyboards, not Cherry keyboards, in the future. Yeah, I kind of think it's, I don't know, I don't, I don't really have an opinion. It doesn't really matter to me what they're called because I already know what they're called. But I think. I think cherry switches are better than ZF switches. Well, maybe. Maybe there'll be the ZF uh, switches, but it's the cherry series. Cherry series? That's, maybe. Th- that would work well. Okay. Um, extracting sounds with acid and UV. This is so cool. This is a really cool article that was on Hackaday, and it's about basically recording or getting the original sound files out of old arcade machines. Yeah, so... And and a lot of these have been, are are they're on ROM, mm-hmm. but they're bit protected, so you can't actually read them out. Yeah, they had f- uh, lock fuses. Lock okay. fuses on them. Um, and so what these guys did, and there's like this is for the main project, which is like a emulator for basically every single arcade machine ever. Right, and th- there were there was four games that they did not have the base sounds Sound for. for, and they had samples for them, but. If you know these guys, these guys are all about emulating it down to the hardware level. And so they wanted the original masks, basically, right, uh, for these ROMs. And so what this guy did is he acid etched off the top of these ROMs and then masked off with, I guess, like some kind of uh, uh, optically, um, not transparent, optically... Uh, Opaque. Opaque. There it is. O- opaque mask. And then shot UV at the one bit, the the right protect bit, flipped it, and then read out the data. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah. That I'm is... just amazed that that worked. So when people say hardware hack, a lot of times they're like, hey, I soldered a wire somewhere. No, this is this, a hardware this hack. This is a hardware hack. <laughs> this is like ultimate hardware hack yes. right here. And, and actually, I think the UV protection stuff he used is the same stuff used when when um, uh, making the dye. Oh, so he he put over the UV resist. Yeah, he okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that like, makes sense. I was because uh, I they have an article. Um, so the Hackaday has a link to the article where he actually does this work and he shows it, and it looks just like the UV resist stuff. Uh, it, man, it is so cool. Yeah, it's just insane that he was able to do that that accurately because that thing is like. What forty five nanometers wide or something like that? Yeah, I mean the die is maybe one millimeter by one millimeter. It is tiny. Yeah, but that that one bit that he has to flip. Yeah, and of course he's got magnified versions of it. And he's like, yeah, there's the the, the fused <laughs> bit like right there times one thousand x. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, he, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, further down the line, they actually had broken gold wire bonds to the die, and they fixed them oh. with conductive paste. They literally just put liquid... They glued it back together. They, yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. These guys are insane. 
Really cool article. We'll put the link in the description. Yeah, check that out. Yeah. All right. Um, this is from last week. Danger close. Fancy bear tracking of Ukrainian field artillery units. This is crazy. This is this is really good. Um, basically, fancy bear is a like, I guess it's a hacker group out of Russia, mm-hmm. and you can find they basically use malware to inject into other devices to be able to get data from you know sources they're not supposed to get data from. I guess that's the uh, my interpretation of what the they underlying do. concept. Yeah, underlying concept. This is probably way more security jargon you can use for it, but this is the map, not not a, a software, <laughs> a security um, podcast. Um, so these guys, basically, they have um, an infected Android APK that's got their malware in it, mm-hmm. and someone in the Ukrainian army used this infected APK, probably accidentally or didn't know, to make an app to control... Um, well, not control, but to basically give guidance to aiming of their howitzers. Their artillery. Their artillery. So first of all, the fact that they're using an Android app to basically do their calculations to aim howitzers, that's a little interesting. <laughs> um, I just imagine like going on like Ukrainian like Google Play Store and there's like like uh, howitzer aiming app basically. <laughs> um, uh, so basically, yeah, it's for their old, old artillery doesn't have aiming built in. You have to, like, you know, move dials and stuff. Yeah. Or in the wheels. And so it's for their D-30 mainly, which okay. is that old Russian artillery. Anyways, so apparently this app is infected with this malware, which led to these howitzers being destroyed by the Russian army. That is crazy. Yeah, so the the app was leaking positional data probably to fancy bear in the russian you know country crazy that's absolutely nuts so yeah just the fact that a howitzer is controlled with an android app that just blows my mind (laughs) (laughs) it's 2016 um because you know i would i would have like written just like a microcontroller that spat out the data on like a lcd screen that's what i would have (laughs) done yeah but i mean the app's gathering the data for you I guess so, because it could get GPS and... You you have to do so little work at that point. You just have to punch in the coordinates of where you want the, the, the artillery at. Well, <laughs> or turn the cranks and dials and things. Well, no, no, no I'm talking about you just punching the Android app, like, what where you want to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Cool. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, why the United Nations must move forward with the killer robots ban. And I picked this topic <laughs> because... On the Star Wars special, we were talking about the the robots that the Trade Army uses and how Josh didn't like them because they're really silly. And I thought they were awesome because they're goofy. Um, (laughs) Because if I had a killer robot, I would make it crack jokes before it killed you. (laughs) But they crack jokes and never kill anyone in the the Star Wars. Yeah, well, they kill a lot of Gungans. Yeah, or those I, not people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have souls. (laughs) Yeah. uh, so, anyways, the the main thing is this that I want to talk about is this quote: um, "If we don't get a ban in place, there will be an arms race." Well, there's already an arms race for military stuff, but anyways, uh, and the end point of this race will look much like a dystopian future painted by Hollywood movies, like The Terminator. End quote. So, <laughs> so the UN is now using 
Hollywood from Hollywood. the 80s. Yeah, the Terminator to determine robot bands. Robot killer, bands. Robot killer, robot robot, bands. killer robot bands. Um, I guess that makes sense because that... Um, Maybe they know more about Skynet than we do. Or they are Skynet. The, the UN is Skynet. The UN is Skynet. Um, that's been silly for this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, we already have the Internet of Howitzers now. Yeah, the Internet, the IOH. IOH. <laughs> um, that is going to be the title of this podcast. Internet of Howitzers. <laughs> Internet of Howitzers. Um, yeah, um, I guess it's a good thing because war is bad. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess that's my opinion of this piece. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so there. I guess the UN is looking into the future. They see a whole bunch of development happening on drone technology and right, stuff. Right. So they so they're like, let's just nip it in the bud right now. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing is, anyone that's going to develop a Terminator is not going to care about what the UN says. Well. Well, and, but at the same time, there's probably a lot the UN knows of that we do not, and they're privy to information that we don't get to see. Or what, like, and they might already have information on killer robots. So they're like, let's ban these right now. Yeah, because it's it's um because drones right now, they still need a human to click, you know, the the death button. Do they? I think so. I mean. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm asking you. Yeah. Well, apparently the UN does. <laughs> well, yeah, the UN does. Um, so, yeah. Good things. War is bad. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> All right, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, flip pins. This is an interesting part that you can buy now. This is to add dip chip-like pins to your PCBs for use in breadboards. Um, so they're like, so like basically if you took a dip chip and then dremeled off the pins mm. and then soldered those onto your PCB, this basically what this product is. So you can make your own dip chips. Yeah. And, um, so I was asking my question, uh, ask myself this is like, how is this any better than a normal 100 mil pin header? Cause that fits in a breadboard. Right. Right. Um, and then I was like, well, maybe it will save dip sockets. Because okay. a, a 100 mil header is really wide compared to a, a, jip, a dip chip pin. Yeah. And so maybe it will save wear and tear on that. Maybe. Maybe. You know, actually, so total offshoot here. But this is, this is just something because I know both Parker and I have made this mistake before. When you're making a hole... For a header, go off the diagonal. Do not go oh. off. Like, make the hole size such that the diagonal of a square pin can go through a circle hole. I know it seems simple, but both Parker and I have made yeah, that mistake. Yeah, we made that mistake. But that. regardless, the whole point is you cannot stick a standard uh, 0.1 inch pitch header into a dip socket. Oh, it just won't fit. No, it's too big. Oh, okay. It's, it's too big, so you can use these things to fit in a dip socket. Cool. So, uh, so actually, I actually have a uh, board going through Macrofab right now, in which I I size the holes such that you could either use a dip package or a header in okay. that case. And the reason why is because long ago I made uh, remember that that um, diode compression op amp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be able to either put it was a S, it was a dip eight package. Right. Well, I made two of them. I actually made a single supply op amp and I made a dual op amp. 
and uh, I want to be able to flop this into my circuit or put in a regular dip chip. Uh, so in this case, that could be kind of cool. Yeah, you could put these, the the flip pins on your 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 dual op amp, and you can be able to just plop it right into your audio circuit. Then. So wait, actually, that so I might remake my chip to use these. Yeah, use these guys. Yeah, because uh, then I could put it just right in a regular dip socket. Um, how do I get them? Uh, it's it's a it's through the OSH chip. We've talked about these guys before. Um, they basically have a, uh, it almost looks like a dev board, but mm-hmm. it's basically, it's supposed to emulate or replace older style microcontrollers, I think. Okay. And so, I, yeah, you just buy it from them. Okay. Well, I'm going to look into that because that might work out well. I, I, basically, I have a guitar pedal that's going through right now, and I want to be able to swap in different op amps, including the op amp that I made discreet on PCBs. Yep. So this could work for that. Yeah. And... I was look. I was also looking at this. And I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe they solved the assembly problem, right? Because soldering in hundred mil pin headers is a pain in the butt. Yeah. Because you know, SIP single inline pin. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with them is they just flop around on the port. Yeah. And so selective solder does not work too well with those kind of connectors. Because basically the, the fountain will come up and just the tension of the fountain will cause them to flop over. Yeah. Um, and so you almost always have to hand solder these. So it's always a pain in the butt, costs a lot of money. I was like, oh, I wonder if they solved that problem. And they they didn't. They basically put <laughs> them in they, they put them in what almost looks like a female header yeah. socket. Yeah. And, they, and then you solder that in and then you pull the sleeve off. So it's, well, it's a really good idea, yeah. but it doesn't fix the assembly problem of making it easier. Well, okay, so so two things on that. First of all, these things are probably not meant for high volume. They're meant for you to hand solder them on. True. That kind of stuff. The second thing, though, I just thought of a, a, of a way that this is actually works potentially really well. Let's say you have an old board that has a dip socket on it but you can't get that dip chip anymore. You can get a surface mount version of that chip. Yeah, that you would You can work. build a board and then plug it back in there. Or let's say there's like a 40-pin dip, you know, ROM chip on an old board, and you have an EEPROM that could work in that place. You could plop it down plop into that. Guy in. So so it works for retrofitting. Yeah, it works really well. That's a, it's just, I don't know how you would solve this problem of it flopping over, but I'd like to see it solved because that's... A lot of our customers have that problem. Well, it, it sounds like it lends itself really well to the prototyping world. It, it does, but please fix <laughs> some someone out there. Maybe maybe flip pins or someone else that... Well, actually, you know, but here's the thing. It really doesn't fix the prototyping world because most breadboards are spaced such that they can accept a um, header. Like a no, header no, no, I'm talking about is, is soldering a header down. Yeah. It just will flop around in the holes. Well, but if you're only soldering one, just do it by hand. Yeah, but I'm talking about, like, when the Kickstarter needs to build, like, a thousand Arduino shields, and now we have to solder, you know, 4,000 SIP pins or SIP parts. Uh, well, um, good luck. Uh, well, we do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we know these things flop around. Yes, exactly. Um, maybe some kind of paste and pin... Where they just we can inject paste in it, but then they have something to support it. 
so it doesn't flop. You know, uh, I wonder, okay, so at the point at which the header meets the PCB, mm-hmm. if they bent two little tabs out uh, such that it, it, it rested on the PCB, then it wouldn't flop as much. And you'd have more surface area to solder to. Yeah. But I don't think they do that. So. No. Uh, maybe we should experiment with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Make make sip socket or sip pin parts easier to machine. Well, solder. when I looked at these, they look like they're just stamped. You know. Oh yeah, they they look stamped. Yeah. So I mean, some big machine comes by and just stamps a billion of them at a time, and they chuck them out. Yeah. Oh whatever, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool for one offs. Yes. Um, and I think everything you know you said and and is good applications for it. I just wish. Someone out there would. I was hoping this would be the solution to that, you know, assembly problem. Well, yeah, and a great example, like an old arcade machine. You want to throw a different processor or a different ROM or something like that in it. You could do that with one of these. Yeah, you can. All right, next one is um, police want Alexa data. People begin to realize it's listening. (laughs) So Um, the, the Alexa is that network device that it's the android or not android uh amazon cylinder right. that can like control everything in anyone yeah like home automation sort of kind of yeah and you can ask it to like questions it's like it's like siri on your iphone or or uh google now on your on your android yeah my, my buddy has one in his apartment and it's it's pretty cool yeah. i mean all he does is he just asks his to play music. Yeah. But, but the cool, cool thing is is it, it's uh API is open. Yeah. Or open enough to where you can make it pre- pretty much do anything. Right. Um but what happened was there was a murder investigation that basically led them to ask Amazon for all the recordings that the Alexa device in that was in probably the murder room. Whoa, 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 hang on. Why is Alexa recording? Because it listens all the time. Listening is different than recording. Exactly, but it listens all the time. But this Amazon didn't give out any recordings, okay. so Good on no them. one knows if it actually records or is just listening all the time. That's mm. what this whole article is about. Mm. Um, because always on voice is pretty sweet. Like you can just say, "Okay, Google," and there's my phone. <laughs> <laughs> That that actually worked out pretty uh, good. Yeah, I was actually really <laughs> glad that worked because the phone's a couple feet away from me. Um, so yeah, that's pretty awesome. But us saying all oh, this stuff, besides it's actually being recorded on the computer right over there, it should never be recorded. No, <laughs> no. Um, it should never be logged. Um, well, okay. So unless it's recording to figure out your nuances. And figure out your voice so it can better listen to you. Ah, that so, might so be where the recordings come in. Maybe, but it probably wouldn't need continuous recording. Yeah, because be a lot of that. a lot of these devices, what it does is when you give it your voice, like you say, "Okay, Google," and it went off again. Because <laughs> um, that's actually a sound processor in the phone looking for your voice. Right. And because you actually, when you set up your phone, you say, okay, Google, like four or five times, and then it records that, and it has a profile. But then when you actually say what you want, like, let's go to the movies and get some hot wings, it will actually send that up to the Google server, process it, and then send that stuff back. Okay, so it's only looking for the first phrase. Yes, it's only looking for the first phrase. And I bet you 
Alexa does the same thing because it doesn't have enough horsepower to, you know, do all that stuff. Yeah, well, it's so this is conspiracy theory in, stuff. Yeah, right it's here. logged in some way as you have to send your voice out to the the quote cloud unquote, and then it comes back with what you what it says you mm, did. So the cloud's recording you. Possibly, we don't know. Well, I don't yeah. need one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting stuff. I mean, shoot, my my cell phone. Is recording everything I do. It definitely anyway. records your location wherever you go, though. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, the voice. Well, you're. It, it's just interesting. I, I so think. It, it all depends on how much intrusion you are willing to accept. Well, and it's is is Amazon or or like Google? Is it actually recording when it sends your voice up and stores it on a hard drive somewhere at the NSA? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, this we is know. just like that Apple thing where uh, they were asking for. I don't I don't remember the guy's name. This was a while ago. But the uh the access code to that one guy's phone. You remember what I'm going at here? Yeah, and basically yeah, yeah. And basically they just like hardware hacked the phone and just read the data off that way. Right, right. Yeah. And like Apple asked I think it was the F was it the FBI? Yep. I don't remember. Yep. And Apple asked the FBI, how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why are we laughing at that? That's yeah, that's depressing. not good. That's that's not a good thing. <laughs> so you know what? If if they're listening in, I give way thumbs down on this. Well, if they're listening and record, there's no way they're recording everything. It's probably waiting for the keyword, just like Google is. Jo- Josh is rolling his eyes over here. He's he. Josh is thinking that uh, maybe they are. I think there's too much data. Oh shoot! It's da- like data's it's like- cheap. Yeah. Have a big server underneath a mountain somewhere. That's right. <laughs> that that the mountain's called Skynet. There you go. Hopefully, they got got on, got on camera or Mike. Nah, they probably heard you, Josh. <laughs> All right, last topic. Okay. It's not really an RFO, but um, we got this like new piece of software, I guess, to like because we have two conference rooms at Macfab. A big conference room and a small conference room. They're really close in size, actually. Yeah, they're pretty close. It's just <laughs> one gets used a lot more than the other one. Yeah. Um, and so we got a piece of software. I can't remember what it was called. Um, U-Room or something yeah, like that? Yah-Room. Yah-Room, yeah. Something, something like that. Like that. Um, you know, it, it's basically we're trying to figure out names for the conference rooms now because we have to name them in this, like, scheduling software right so you can go in and see when it's booked and you can make them because yeah, yeah, yeah. we've been having so some no, this conflicts. is not this is not about whatever the piece of software is called but it's right. like what are we going to call these conference rooms <laughs> yeah so our chat blew up today yeah. with all kinds of names for our two <laughs> conference rooms yeah um like i said you know like i, I like the big room because we use it the most like the rancor pit because like, it's like from Star Wars. From Star Wars, because that's like where everyone goes out of each other's throats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have a meeting every week that's, uh, it's fun, let's put it that way, and I say fun in quotes. Uh, no, I like that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> that's Yeah, that's the one where we give status updates and we talk about everything that's going on. So it's intense sometimes, and it's fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rancor Pit, I think that's 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 great. Yep. Now, Chris, the CEO, he's thinking something electrical-based. Yeah, electrical-based. So like, I was thinking hurts. Yeah. Because you get feelings hurt there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I said uh, Schrodinger and Heisenberg. Yeah. That, that didn't catch on very well. No. I think they're too long. And, and they're hard to spell. Yes. I don't know how to spell them. <laughs> <laughs> so any, any suggestions? Yeah, tweet them at us at, at, at Macrofab or at Macro Ninja Near. That's right. Or at Macro Longhorn Engineer. Yeah. Let's let's see what what our our listeners can come up with. Yeah, I want I want two good names because th- these are going to be printed out, you know, in nice embossed like, uh, plaques plaques for the doors and stuff. So and, and it would be great if the two conference rooms are like in parallel to each other in some way, or the names reference each other. Yeah, like, you know, yin and yang kind of thing. So yeah, cool. The, ba- the battle of the two conference rooms. Yep. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, episode number 48. We were your guests, Stephen Craig. Guests. We were your guests, yeah. Josh is actually the host. <laughs> <laughs> we were your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. Later, guys. Take it easy. <laughs>